Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world. From border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea, I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate, and thank you for tuning in to Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. I'm really pleased today my guest is none other than Mr. Tim Dawson, who's the Chief Technical Officer at Canon Medical. Of course, Canon uh, Medical, well-known entity to all of us, delivers innovative imaging solutions and services. Tim, thanks for joining the Tate Chronicles today. Thanks, Jim. Uh, Happy to join. You know, there's a few things um, I want to ask you about and get your input on, things I don't know about, but I'm curious. So uh, ho- hope we can um, find out some, I'm digging for some gold here. One of the first okay. things that kind of fascinates me about medical imaging, um, the whole move towards at-home care, uh, chronic care, keeping people out of the hospital, uh, all that kind of stuff. And so um, what are the options uh, presently or maybe moving forward for medical imaging at the um, home environment? Sure. I mean, you know, there there have been a lot of uh, really exciting advances. I, I know we've got some uh, uh, some local options that, that I use here. I live in the Twin Cities and mm-hmm. uh, uh, we've got a, a, a provider called Nice Healthcare that uh, my employer uh, that, that Canon Medical uses. Um, and they'll they'll actually, you know, drive out to your to your home. Um, you know, back in the COVID days, I was able to get a COVID test at home uh, when and when mm. they came to visit me, and and uh, they they drive out in a van, and they've got uh, they've got remote imaging equipment uh, that's available. Um, if you have a, if you have a fracture, they can uh, you know they can or if you think you might, they can they can take an X-ray right there, uh, send that over the wire back to uh, to uh, you know hospital. They can look at it right there themselves and you know take a quick field check on it, but they can send that back. Um, we we actually have. Um, uh, you know, uh, imaging, uh, you know, semi-trailers so they can uh, they can have a whole uh, CT or MR, uh, well, CT anyway, scan, uh, mm-hmm. uh, MR, be a little bit more tricky. Um, but uh, but you can those things can be delivered. And um, the exciting uh, you know capability is to then send those images uh, over the wire back to uh, back to radiologists that can look at them uh, on a near real-time basis. Uh, so it really kind of depends on the type of imaging. Uh, some things you can do right there, you know, in the van or truck. Uh, some things need to be uh, need to be sent back over the wire. But uh, so there's some really exciting capabilities that are that are available even now. This is not just coming soon, but these are things that are that are available. Tim, I can see the real importance of that. If um, oh, let's say somebody goes to visit a patient at home, whether it's a, uh, a home care or a provider or, or whoever's going in and and they need a chest X-ray because they're worried the patient may have pneumonia. So uh, that chest X-ray can be taken. Um, and then the ability to get a uh, reading of that image so antibodies can be started as soon as possible. Um, yeah. Is that something that, uh, as opposed to days, can now be done in a matter of hours or maybe maybe even less? Maybe even less, yeah. I wow. mean, there, there are all sorts of types of uh, screening capabilities uh, available, yeah. Um, okay, another topic I've been hearing a lot about, uh, and I'd like to hear your opinion, uh, is the state of AI and imaging. Uh, so I run across all these uh, studies about how accurate uh, AI systems are for scanning an image and uh, picking up 
uh, abnormalities. What's that all about, and are we really there yet? Uh, well, th- we're making some great uh, advancements in that uh, industry-wide, not just uh, not just Camp Medical. We have a lot of great uh, technology in this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm often hearing on on the radio that people saying that that uh, radiologists, you know, will be replaced by AI. Uh, you know, in in a few years, and and I, I don't think that's any any realistic, uh, you know, at all. Um, I, I do, however, uh, like a, another meme that I've seen, which is that uh, uh, AI is is, uh, is not going to um, replace you. Somebody using AI is going to replace you, um, and, and that I've seen that meme applied to every different uh, different type of uh, of uh, industry, and this certainly applies to radiologists. So, radiologists. Um, need to be using AI to make themselves go faster. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a, a shortage, um, you know, worldwide uh, of, of radiologists. The, the need and the increase in imaging has outstripped uh, the uh, the capability of radiologists to to do it, and they're being pressed constantly to go faster and faster and faster, uh, less clicks, um, more uh, more scans read in the same amount of time, and the, the, really the only way to keep up with that uh, that explosion. Uh, is with AI. Um, this is this is actually increasing with the you know scans are even getting larger. Um, so some types of scans um, are, are you know sub millimeter that that create uh, very fine access. And mm. uh, if a radiologist has to look at every single one of those images, uh, they're going to be overwhelmed. And so the use of AI to uh, to both sort of help them know where to look, and then to also as a backstop uh, to you know to double check, hey, you want to look here, here, and here. Um, types of things can be can be really valuable to make sure that nobody misses anything, um, and this can take the range anything from uh, you know automatically you know scanning and, and finding um, uh, you know stroke analysis is is probably one of the mm. biggest ones uh, mm-hmm. that, that happens. Um, you know, time is brain uh, with stroke, right? So uh, as as you know, the longer that it takes to uh, to get a treatment, uh, the the more problematic it is, and so the you know you really want fast turnaround uh, on that sort of thing. Um, in other areas, you know, the AI can just make sure that you that you don't forget something, or can help you uh, streamline your reads to make sure that you're looking at a current scan and a prior scan, and make sure that everything's all lined up, so you don't have to do a as a radiologist doesn't have to do a bunch of fiddly clicks here and there in order to make sure that it's all lined up, so that they can do a comparative review. Mm. Um, all of that can be fully automated. So, mm. um, so it's there's a, you know a, a, a plethora of capabilities. Um, one of the biggest ones that's, uh, that's really expanding is, is, uh, x-ray and uh, chest x-ray, you know, analysis, you know, finding all of the things that you can find out of a simple chest x-ray and then, and then really highlighting that and, and, uh, prioritizing, uh, you know, which ones they need to look at first. Hey, we think we maybe have, uh, you know, uh, detected this, please double check that so we can get treatment started as soon as possible. Uh, lots of exciting capabilities that are, uh, uh, that are going on in the industry. Well, um, and I'm, I'm sure, Tim, it varies from country to country and healthcare system to healthcare system. But in the U.S., what's the state of um, AI uh, work w- with images like you were talking about strokes? Is this something that a lot of hospitals have or it's we're at 20 percent, we're going to 80 percent? Where are we at? It really depends on the on the subspecialty. There are some areas, again, like the stroke, that that have quite a bit of mm. uh, of adoption. Right, other areas, it's a lot more hesitant. Um, you know, honestly, one of the things that that drives it uh, the most is uh, is reimbursement. Uh, there's there's a big part of that, uh, and as well, also safety. Um, you know, making sure that you that you've got um, all of the uh, uh, the five ten k's, all the sorts of clearances that you need. The FDA is very careful 
um, about uh, making sure that the uh, that the AIs um, you know are operating properly. And so uh, it kind of really depends on what uh, what you're going for, um, you know, and you have to be very careful what your uh, your intended use is of your medical device uh, when when we're working on a on a new capability. Um, you know, there's a there's a pretty stringent uh, you know set of requirements. Um, one of the other interesting things that's happening is a lot of uh, some you know, like educational and other institutions are developing their own AI. Uh, the rules for that are a little bit different. Mm. Um, so the rules to uh, to develop something and then sell it as a product versus the rules for uh, you know a, uh, a an institution to develop something internally and to begin to use it. Um, there's a little bit a uh, little bit of a difference. They can they can. Uh, have a little bit more freedom to say, hey, let's try this out. Let's try this out versus us building something and then taking it out to the market. There's a you know a different level of uh, scrutiny applied, and that's uh, that's really important uh, because when you're developing something internally, you need to be able to try that out, right? And the hospitals that are doing this uh, need to be able to explore those uh, those various avenues, and of course, you know, they need to do it in a safe way. Um, and so that's I think that's holding the industry back a little bit uh, between uh, the you know the amount of uh, uh, scrutiny to get it done safely, but also the reimbursement. Somebody's got to pay for this. Um, yes. so, um, you know, we'd all, I, I was at a, uh, on a panel at the, uh, the society for, um, at SIM for, for, uh, imaging, uh, informatics and medicine. And, um, the, uh, the conference there, we talked with, you know, it was a mix of, uh, providers and, uh, and, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, companies like myself, um, and you know, we we were all going through um, with the uh, in terms of you know all the difficulties of getting getting things into production, mm-hmm. um, and so there's there's a lot of excitement, um, but it's uh, it's it's being held back a little bit, and I'm, I'm hoping that we kind of overcome that in the next in the next few years. Um, and so um, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, Tim. Um, I was a clinical director of a large pulmonary practice um, for a number of years. And, of course, we did lots and lots and lots of chest X-rays, did wet development <laughs> of those films. Yeah. Um, sure. uh, and then, of course, we got the uh, digital systems. But um, uh, what the hospitals, of course, had the traditional PAC systems, and they were built to consume data and display data, not for interoperability. So uh, what, um, I guess, what the architecture or the network or uh, what's the state of interoperability of, of images, not only uh, from a uh, radiographic um, uh, domain to somebody's going to do an impression, uh, but just if uh, patients wanted access to their own images? Uh, that's a great question. So and let's start with uh, interoperability because, you know, the, the PAC systems, um, the PAC systems, you know, were were developed um, inherently as a silo, right? I mean, back back in the days, you know, when when a lot of these systems were created, that was the state of the art at the time. It was it was difficult to uh, to develop all of this and in, as independent uh, components. The architecture mm-hmm. wasn't evolved enough back then, and so um, so when you bought a system, it came with the viewer and the storage, and they were intrinsically you know, tied together. Um, the performance of computing at that time was such that you had to do that in order to be able to load the images quickly enough. Um, now, of course, you know, we've made quite a few advances in, in technology uh, in the intervening, you know, 20 years. And uh, so in the, you know, early to mid-2010s, you know, you know, 2012, 2015, we were working 
uh, with the DICOM standards body to create a technology called DICOM Web. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a technology that that uh, that, that, that Canada Medical and, and other companies uh, sort of co-developed called Mint, which stood for Medical Imaging Network Transport. And we were trying to sort of take DICOM, which is the standard for that all the all the scanners use uh, for for imaging uh, transfer and all of that, and move that into the web world and move that uh, using standard web protocols like HTTP. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's a lot of capabilities that that are unlocked when you do this. Um, early on, PAC systems didn't have a whole lot of interest in doing that. Uh, I remember talking to a PAC provider, I'm not going to name names, um, at the time, and uh, and they said, well, why would I want to do that? Then then somebody else can get at the images that are that are in my system. Yes. Um, and, and and so that was, there was definitely a, uh, you know, sort of an intrinsic sort of, if, if I own the data as I'm the vendor, uh, then I can make sure that the, the customers will, uh, will continue to react. Um, that's not the world that we want to live in, right? We, the, the data needs to be interoperable. There are so many different capabilities uh, that you can add to medical imaging, and you need to make it fully accessible. And AI brings a lot of that. Even before AI, uh, you know, Canon Medical has a, you know a lot of uh, advanced visualization tools uh, that were managed by uh, by techs, you know, and the techs would do the workups on the software, uh, creating these you know really. Uh, impressive 3D images and, you know, uh, analyzing and finding uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, tumors or brain aneurysms, strokes, all the sorts of things before the AI existed. Um, and all of that needs access to the data. And if all of that is locked up or very difficult to access, uh, then you don't get all of the benefits. So I really believe that DICOM Web, which was the, pre- the, the sort of successor to the, the MINT standard that I mentioned, um, that's when we standardized it, and it, it's taken a few years to, to take off, but it, it really has. A lot of the vendors that I'm uh, working with today provide that capability. So then a program can make a web call, um, get access to uh, all of the, the metadata about a study, tell me you know, what, what, what pictures are in the study, um, you know, and let me understand, and, and then let me pull out just the ones that I'd be, I need in order to do the proper an- analysis. For example, some uh, some AI programs don't need every slice of a 2,000 slice CT. Mm-hmm. They just need one that's a you know I, I need a cross section of the heart, uh, yes. and I'm going to do some analysis on that, right? So so you don't need to pull the entire 2,000 images down. You just need to grab the metadata, look at what you want, mm-hmm. grab the pieces that you want. Now that's possible now with .com Web, wow. um, and so so that's that's really incredible, and that level of interoperability. Is, is really how we've architected our systems and, and how we've been, well, I've been encouraging other vendors to do the same, is architect around that, uh, that interoperability. That allows you to separate the components. You can put the storage um, and make that accessible, not just on a file system, which frankly is, is, uh, is at risk for, for ransomware. If you're just storing, if your PAC system is just storing images on a file system, uh, those are at risk. Um, because once a, once a, a bad actor gets in, they can encrypt those files, et cetera. Um, it's far better to access those files um, using a secure protocol um, you know, over HTTP like uh, S3. S3 is a mm-hmm. industry standard protocol for storage access. Amazon created it. Everybody copied it. Um, thank you, Amazon, for creating this it's, uh, API and letting everybody copy it, because we can build on top of that to make everything much more secure. So now we've got speed and security. Um, you know, things are getting a lot better uh, with the uh, with the industry here, and that that level of uh, of uh, you know data neutrality and all of that really uh, really helps us with the interoperability. 
let me address our audience for a moment. If you're just joining us, I'm Jim Tate. On this episode of the Tate Chronicles, I'm speaking with Tim Dawson, the Chief Technical Officer at Canon Medical. Um, one of the advantage of uh, potential advantages of electronic health records, electronic health data, uh, is not so much from the uh, uh, treatment standpoint, but the ability to get all that data, get it de-identified, and use it for research purposes. Mm -hmm. Is there any potential to de-identify images and use them for some type of research or? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we do that all the time. So we have we have customers that use uh, that use research pack systems mm. um, and, uh, you know, or research uh, DNA, a vendor neutral archive. Right. So you send all of the images in um, each each DICOM image uh, in, in a data set has a copy of the metadata for that, which includes patient level information, mm -hmm. um, study level information, which is like, OK, the, the episode, the scan that you're doing um, and then and then information about each image and and all of that metadata is really valuable for uh, for mining, but you really kind of want to strip the patient identifying pieces off uh, before doing that. And, and the DICOM standard has some really good recommendations for how to do that, which which of these metadata tags you can keep, which ones you can remove. Uh, it's important to do it correctly. Um, I, I've worked with some uh, the identification tools that they kind of took a sledgehammer to it. And unfortunately, the data sets that you get out the other side aren't terribly useful. Um, it's really important if you're analyzing a 10-phase CT of a heart uh, mm -hmm. to, to, know, to know the time codes between them and which phase that you're looking at. Um, if you have a de-identification routine that just strips all of that out, well, you don't really you don't really know kind of what you're looking sure, at, and, and sure. it can really it can really make that hard. Uh, but if you do, and that's why, thankfully, there are some really good guidelines around that. Um, there is a limit, though, to how much you can de-identify data, um, because uh, if you have, for example, a head CT, there's a lot of facial reconstruction that you can do off of that. So, um, so it really kind of depends. There's still a level of trust. Uh, there's still a level of uh, of uh, of you know confidentiality needed with some of the data, even after you've de-identified it, depending on the, uh, depending on the data sets. You know, um, one thing I'm uh, curious about that we're going to see moving ahead, Tim, um, uh, of course, uh, the idea of centralizing these DICOM images, um, I would imagine that uh, that can help the, just the, the, uh, whoever the radiologist who's, uh, review in these uh, images, how that workload can be spread out. Uh, if if you're not all, if you, all of your images aren't just in basically a drawer that only you can access. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. That that's um, that, that's one of one of the key things that we love. If, if, if back in the early days of PACS, you know, there each hospital had its own PAC system. Correct. And yeah. Sometimes, you know, you'd have multiple PAC systems, one for radiology, one for cardiology, et cetera, et cetera. And then, um, and then, then when you get a, in, in the U.S., there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, aggregation healthcare systems, right? So you have a large uh, IDN that, that has uh, multiple hospitals in it. And then you end up with, with a bunch of data silos there. Well, you really need to move all of those together. That's where the vendor neutral archive came into be. Um, and all of that sort of capability to to put all of the the images centrally, um, but the access control to that again the .com web really is helping that a lot. So that you don't have to do as much work to uh, to do sort of forethought in terms of pushing copies of images everywhere. So the oh I got a patient coming into this clinic, let me push all of their images over to that clinic so that the radiologist there can read them. 
um, that that can be a real challenge to make sure you know that you get everything everywhere. And if you miss something, it's not visible to them. Uh, the DICOM web really really helps that. It also helps, you know, with uh, with physician burnout, right? And and with with spreading the load of the radiologist because if you're overloaded in in one area and you've or you've got a few people sick and you've got some uh, availability, you can load balance that if you've got the images centralized, um, because then you can have a radiologist at another facility as long as as long as they're credentialed and, and all of that that matters. Um, you have to be within the right state and all all of that. But as long as they're credentialed to do those reads, they can pick up and share that. Uh, share that workload. Um, so you get kind of the double benefit of the visibility to not just your current images, but all of the priors, um, as well as the ability to share the workload um, and, and hand, and hand that, uh, hand that read off to somebody else. Um, if you're overloaded at your location. One of the things um, I wonder about Tim is the concept of patient access to images. <clears throat> and the reason I bring that up is because if, uh, somebody's had uh, a condition and they've had quite a bit of imaging work done and they move from one coast to the other and they're at, the, right. uh, at a new practice, they want that new practice to have access to those images. Um, I'm not sure what the state of, uh, you know, a uh, practice to practice or a hospital to practice accessing those. But um, if uh, most people are familiar with portals, if there was some way mm -hmm. to redirect an image uh, or, or download, uh, of course, these files are too large to download, but download, but to forward a hyperlink or something. Uh, what's going on around there? Patient access and, and sharing of images. Yeah, so there's, oh, there's a lot going on there. So um, you know, a lot of hospitals have, uh, you know, if you have an EMR like Epic, right, there's a, there's a tool, uh, Epic MyChart that my hospital uses. And my, I can go in too. there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and I can go in there and look at my look at my chart, look at you know all the you know whatever recent uh, uh, you know blood work I've had or whatever results were upcoming appointments. But I can also take a look at imaging, um, and so that's something that you know we've implemented this with our customers as well. So the ability to access that imaging to launch a viewer and and pull my own medical images um, out of the you know out of that uh, that archive, and so I can see them um, and make them available. I can download them. Um, so I can then bring them to another facility if they don't have a sharing link. Uh, there are image sharing networks uh, that exist. Mm -hmm. There's point-to-point -point mm -hmm. networks between hospitals. Uh, we facilitate a lot of that. There's other plenty of other vendors in the space that do that as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, if you end up with uh, needing to see a provider that isn't part of that or isn't connected with your uh, with your facility, you can you can download these images. It they they can be large, but they're uh, I don't know these days you know the USB. Keys. I can buy a 128 gig USB stick for 40 bucks uh, mm -hmm. or less. Um, and so, if I if I need to have something like that, I can get it. It's becoming increasingly rare for people to get a copy of a of a DVD with their images on it. Mm -hmm. um, I had a I had a wrist surgery a few years ago, and I and I asked for copies of the images mostly because I'm I'm kind of a nerd about this, right? I, I you know I work in the industry. I want copies mm -hmm. of all of my medical images, sure. um, and that that facility didn't have a a way for me to download them. Um, over the over the web, so I had to I had to ask them to uh, you know burn a DVD for me, and then I had to find a DVD player, you know, can hook it up to my computer and upload it. Yes. But, but I was able to get those. That's kind of the old way to do that. More and more now, uh, it's all being all, all being done uh, electronically. Um, one thing that's going to be fascinating to see moving forward, uh, uh, we have the whole uh, wave of interoperability processes. We had the HIEs and the Rios and all those things. And, and now 
on the horizon, hopefully closer than further away, is uh, TEFCA to exchange health information where a provider or a patient can poll the TEFCA network, which is a network of networks, um, and uh, initially pull in diagnostic information, medication information, and that kind of stuff. Um, I, uh, I think imaging studies, not, uh, not just the uh, text of an impression, but the actual imaging studies, um, if and when that gets hooked into TEFCA, uh, I think that's going to be a great thing moving forward. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, that that is a uh, you know, with the with Dicom standards and Dicom Lover really helping with that, and a lot mm -hmm. of that is 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 coming to coming to play uh, with HL7 Fire. You know, there there are new protocols on that that are they're tying in with imaging. Yeah. Um, so you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to coming having all of that be standardized. Uh, you know, we. Uh, you know, we really believe in that interoperability. I mean, our DNA before we were Canon Medical, um, I was part of a smaller company that Canon Medical bought. You know, we've mm. got you know three or four other companies in the in the family here that are all part of my team. They were all independent smaller companies originally, and so we we have that DNA, um, you know, internally that says that we we want to build best of breed solutions that interoperate well, um, as opposed to something that's really monolithic. And and I think that's. That's absolutely the spirit of what you know. What Tech is trying to do here is like let's build that interoperability so that you can you can make these components work together, and, and that's absolutely the vision of the future. Well, that's yeah, interoperability. Uh, Tim, we're almost out of time, but uh, let me ask you: How can our listeners find out more uh, about Canon Medical, as well as uh, you know, uh, a web address? Maybe get some more sure, information. Yeah. Uh, Sure thing. Thanks. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we have a, a website is uh, mi.medical.canon. Uh, let, let me repeat that again, because that does not sure. end in a com. Okay. This is right. mi as in medical imaging dot medical dot canon. Um, and so uh, apparently dot canon is a top level domain. So who knew, right? Until, right. until we, yeah. were, we were acquired by canon, I was kind of surprised by that. So uh, yeah, mi.medical.canon. You can find out all about us. Okay, great. You know, I've spent some time there in the last few days. There's some uh, great blog posts and recorded webinars there. So a lot, a lot of good information available there, just for the, uh, you know, for providers, not even uh, radiology specialists. To our audience, thanks for joining me on this episode of the Take Chronicles, and I, of course, offer a special salute to my guest today, Tim Dawson, Chief Technical Officer at Canon Medical. Tim, thank thanks you very for, much, Jim. Yep, thanks for coming aboard today. All right, appreciate it. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. That's healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Tape Chronicles transmission ending now.